and welcome to the ninth episode of Biology Beyond the Microscope. My name is Katherine Gamewell. If you don't know already, this is a series where you will hear from different professors who will share their experiences as a professor and discuss what inspired them to pursue research in their specific topics. Today we are talking with Dr. Adam Hartstone-Rose. Dr. Hartstone-Rose is an associate professor in the Department of Biological Sciences here at NC State University. He earned his bachelor's and PhD in biological anthropology and anatomy at Duke University. He is interested in the mastication muscle architecture in primates and carnivores, the relationship between limb musculature and locomotion patterns and postures in primates, and the role of public involvement in the STEM fields. All right, thank you so much for being on my podcast. No problem. So we'll start with the first question of what led you to want to become a professor? I've been interested in science since I was a very small child. And uh, I love working on nature and working with nature and natural specimens. And as I came through sort of the scientific ranks, when I, I started working at the American Museum of Natural History when I was a teenager. And then in college, I worked at various scientific institutions and um, as I was getting my PhD, I just learned that I had kind of a natural propensity for teaching and especially mentoring. I like mentoring students, students at all stages. I, I mentor middle school students and high school students and a whole bunch of dozens of college students in my lab. I've mentored graduate students and four postdocs. Um, I've mentored junior faculty members. It's just one of the things that I love is sort of training the next generations of scientists and um, the best profession to do that is to become a professor. Yeah, that's very, very true. I can mm -hmm. definitely tell. <laughs> so what was the first research topic that you became interested in? I love lemurs. So here in, in the triangle, um, there are the largest percent of lemur lovers in the world, probably. <laughs> Maybe second only to Madagascar itself. Um, and so I, I actually moved to the Triangle. I, I went to, um, to college at Duke because of the Duke Lemur Center. And, uh, and so even before college, so when I was in middle school and in high school, when I was working at the American Museum of Natural History, I studied lemurs. Um, and I went to Madagascar a bunch of times before college. And, uh, and in fact, I came home and I, um, I, I made a science fair project. One of my teachers forced me to make a science fair project to make up for all of the school that I missed the first time I was in Madagascar. Um, I skipped basically the month of October of my <laughs> junior year. And she forced me to do a science fair project to make up for all the missed work. And, um, and so I did a science fair project on lemurs called Through the Eyes of a Lemur about studying skulls and correlating anatomy to nocturnal or diurnal behavior in lemurs. And, um, and she made me submit that science fair project to uh, the, the um, New York Academy of Sciences uh, science fair. And I won a full scholarship to NYU from that. Wow. <laughs> that was the first science fair project <laughs> I ever did. Wow, that's that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so so you kind of continued with this as your current research. Then. Yeah, I still study lemurs. In fact, um, just today I was 
submitting uh, the final artwork for the cover of a journal that is publishing. Um, we had a paper that was uh, that got a lot of notoriety about a month ago about the sixth finger of an II. So I, we discovered a primate with a sixth finger. And um, so it was all over the New York Times and wow. National Geographic and the Smithsonian Magazine. And, um, and so they're publishing that um, with a cover piece of cover art um, of a lemur. So all these years later, decades later, I'm still studying lemurs. <laughs> oh my goodness. So what, what's the sixth finger used for then? Yeah, so they have the, so the II is the weirdest primate in the world. It's the largest nocturnal primate. Um, and it has giant bat-like ears and ever-growing incisors. It's the only primate like that. And it has these crazy spidery hands. And, um, and we've studied the way that it uses these ears and teeth and hands um, to do a really peculiar behavior called tap foraging, where it takes that middle finger and taps on rotting wood um, and then is able to actually hear voids under the surface of the wood. So it can hear spaces that grubs have carved. And then it carves into those channels with its teeth and sticks this creepy middle finger into the hole and fishes <laughs> out the grubs. And so they have these really amazing specialized hands that we've known about for a really long time. Um, and no one has ever noticed that they have this amazing other structure in their wrist. Um, and what we think happens, so they, so they have, um, it's called a pseudo thumb, and it's a little knobby bit kind of at the base of their wrist, near the base of the thumb. And, um, and we discovered this structure that it has a bone and a piece of cartilage and three different muscles that move it in different directions. And it actually can produce maybe a, um, about a kilo of, um, of force to actually wow. grip, um, which is quite substantial for an animal that only weighs a few kilograms um, itself. And so what we think happened was that these crazy spidery hands are really good for this kind of tap foraging behavior, but they're really bad at hand type behavior. So mm -hmm. they're bad at like gripping stuff. And eyes are arboreal primates, so they need to climb around in branches and trees. And so they sacrificed some of their ability to do that in order to do this peculiar foraging behavior. And we think that this new structure makes up for that um, and allows some grip strength kind of within the palm and the wrist of the hand. Wow, how interesting. Yeah, well, I'll definitely have to check out that article. Yeah, it's super cool. And it's going to make a beautiful cover in the American Journal of Physical Anthropology. <laughs> All right. So what does, um, I guess we're, we're kind of switching topics here. What does a day in your job look like at NC State? Because you, you mentioned that you... you um, are mentoring so many different ranges of ages. So how does that how does that tie into your daily job? Yeah, so I'm kind of a workaholic. I come in um, very early, uh, usually around seven thirty or before eight o'clock, and um, and I sit at my desk almost all day. <laughs> so it's it's kind of horrible. Um, but I've gotten to the point in my career where. I basically write grants full-time, so I've got um, three different grants from the National Science Foundation, and I'm constantly asked to be on other proposals, so I was writing a grant just before you came in, um, and I also rewrite papers that my various students and postdocs give me to work on and collaborators. So like this past year, so 2019, we've published 19 papers just in, in 2019. Um, from all of my uh, students and collaborators. 
And so I don't really even get a chance to essentially collect all my own data anymore <laughs> or um, even write my own papers from the ground up. Um, I, I, all of the work that I do is in support of my students basically making that progress. So I have different students leading different parts of the research and um, I'm kind of giving it, like I'm helping them construct the projects at the beginning and then get, helping them get those projects into publication at the end um, and kind of mentoring them along the way. But I'm really at this point an armchair scientist. <laughs> <and> <laughs> my students make fun of me because like even when I go out and teach them how to do dissections and stuff, I'm mostly sort of supervising and, and guiding yeah. them. And I don't really get my hands too dirty anymore. Unfortunately, I love doing it, but I yeah. just don't have time to, to do it myself. Yeah, that is. It's, but then again, you know, your students, that's, that's how they learn, right? Yeah, I mean, I've, I, it is very rewarding to feel like I spend my whole career now enabling um, my students to have amazing opportunities. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. <laughs> so uh, what direction would you advise NC State students to take when looking for research topics? Yeah, the, the, the real key... Um, is that students who are really interested in becoming scientists especially, but even students that, that want to go on and um, go to vet school or medical school or um, some kind of professional program, in order to stand out, they really should get involved in research. And I feel like our students here at NC State don't take this um, as seriously as they should. I'm always telling my students to get involved in research um, much earlier um, and uh, and really try to weasel your way into a lab as soon as possible. So I've started students in my lab um, as soon as freshman year. Um, most of my students joined my lab sophomore year. Uh, by the time they're juniors, it's almost getting too late and I won't take seniors into my lab um, because as I tell my students on day one, it, it basically for the first year that you're in my lab, you're useless. <laughs> um, and you, and really, it's not just about like your value to the lab, but you won't. It takes about a year to really get an understanding, uh, enough of an understanding of the kind of science that we do, in order to make it to 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 really contribute to it and to benefit the most as a student from that work. Um, and so the real advice is uh, is try to find opportunities early, um, be persistent, be persistent. So chase after professors. Um, the best way. So so the key is to find a mentor, right? So you really need to find a mentor. If you have a research interest or a research idea, as a as a student, it's generally too hard to even know where to begin to take that to fruition, and so it's a good idea to get um, a sense of what of the general area that you're interested in and then to try to find professors that can help support that. And so there are some challenges with that. Most of the highly research active professors, especially in my department, um, are not generally the professors that are at the front of the classroom very often, especially for freshman and sophomore classes. Um, we tend to teach mostly upper level classes or graduate classes or potentially no classes. Um, mm -hmm. And so the real key is how do you find these people? So you can look on the departmental websites. Um, my best piece of advice is to talk to the professors and lecturers that you really like, that you think are doing a good job. Um, so those people 
if you are interested in becoming a, um, a biologist, then go to your biology uh, professor at the front of the room. And even if he or she is not an active research professor, um, that person is probably in a really good position to guide you to one of us um, who is really research active. And then when you find that um, person, then you just have to be really persistent and weasel your way in, take yourself seriously, and make the most of the opportunity. The last piece is that for people who are interested in the kind of work that we do, um, and generally sort of biology type work, um, there's a website here at NC State that's called Curious. I have no idea what it stands for, but if you basically type in Curious NC mm -hmm. State on a Google search, then um, several professors, not enough, but a few of us list positions um, on that website and it'll allow you to apply. So you can write a little blurb about why you want to join the lab and then also it, you can automatically submit like your part of your transcript for us to look at. Wow, yeah, that's great information. I had no idea yeah. that was even a thing. But it's on you. I mean, I have yeah. more students, that, like I have about two or three times as many students that approach me that than slots that I can actually take students. And I take uh, more than 20 students a year. So wow. I've got like 50, 60 students that come to try to get into my lab every year. Um, and so you have to you have to be good. You have to take yourself seriously. Um, you know, if you want to become a professor, um, you know, you should have a decent GPA. I, I, I get a lot of students who approach me and say they want to go to vet school and they have like a 2.0 GPA and you know it's it and they all but and they only have you know three hours a week but they want to do research quote unquote and it's really it's you know you have to think about what it's going to take to um to make research a serious part of your academic mm -hmm. life here at, at college mm -hmm. well that that really sounds like it kind of covers my last question but um let's see i guess i'll ask it anyway <laughs> What additional advice do you have for biological scientists or maybe any parting words of wisdom? Parting words of wisdom. Uh, you have to work hard. You have to um, realize that in order to be a scientist and to keep on sort of the pathway to becoming a scientist, you have to do much more than just take science classes, right? You can get a zoology degree or a biology degree here at NC State and even if you get if you're a 4.0 undergraduate if you don't take the opportunities to work with professors outside of um, your classes then you're not going to be eligible for the types of opportunities that you need in order to keep on that pathway so you really should try to get into research that's my biggest my biggest recommendation and make it more than just something you do on top of school. It should be what you really put your heart into. You have to still do well in school, mm -hmm. but my students that are most successful that come out of my lab and go on to top medical schools or graduate schools or vet schools, those students, they spend all of their time in my lab. Even if it's just like studying, they sit on, we have a couch in the other room and they study and they hang out with my students, my graduate students, my postdocs. Um, and lab is like their home base and, and their life and all of their time that they have that they're not studying for orgo or whatnot. They're working towards trying to earn authorship on papers and things like that. And so this becomes their main focus while they have to really keep doing well enough at all the other things. Yeah, well, that's, that's excellent advice. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And thank you for being on my podcast. No problem. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Take advantage of opportunities, and as always, stay curious.